1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. But we urge you, brothers, to do this. This is love each other more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Last week, we kicked off this series looking at that line, aspire to live quietly. And we told ourselves what quiet is not. Quiet is not weakness. It's not isolation. It's not passivity or passive aggressiveness. It's not a lack of ambition. What quiet is, is refraining from meddling on one hand, and then on the other, arriving at a place of internal rest or peace. We said that quiet is circular. It's both external and internal, and each of them play into each other. Said another way, when we have a lack of quiet externally in our relationships, it has a tendency to destroy the quiet within. Or vice versa, when there's a lack of quiet on the inside, we tend to lash out at people externally. And so we're seeking both forms of quiet. This week, we're going to look more intensely at the very next line in the letter. It says, mind your own affairs, or how we're going to say it, mind your own business. How many of you were told as a kid, mind your own business? How many of you were told as an adult, mind your own business? M-Y-O-B. The next time you go to a party, M-Y-O-B. Mind your own business. The next time you're at church, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. The next time you're anywhere, M-Y-O-B, mind your own business. Mind your own business. There's more lines, of course, in this verse that we just read. We're going to look at each of the lines over the next few weeks. But let me jump to the end real quick to tell you why Paul is saying this. See, what Paul sees the stakes are in this um, phrase, mind your own business, or this idea of aspiring to live quietly. And uh, everything that comes after that line, aspire to live quietly, is either a strategy to live quietly or an outcome of living quietly. Mind your own business is a strategy to live quietly. But what's at stake for Paul is the integrity of the church, the integrity of the relationships within the body of the church, so as to, at the end of the verse, to win people to Jesus so that they might know Christ. So why do we mind our own business? Well, in the end, when we do this appropriately, it helps us win people to Christ. Also, the very name of God is at stake. If you read the scriptures, God is really about his glory, And so much of the scriptures points back to the fact that God is about his glory. Let me tell you what ruins God's glory. When Christians beat up on each other, when the name of God or his church or his son is drugged through the mud. And so minding your own business actually brings us back to bringing glory and honor to God. And so Paul gives us this little phrase that almost could seem meaningless or just like a little bit of life advice that has massive ramifications. 
Three ways I want to give you this morning that we have a tendency to not mind our own business. And I want to talk about the negative associated when we don't mind our own business, but also, on the other hand, talk about the positive of what occurs within the body of the church when we do mind our own business, when we figure out the right way to handle these three things. So here's the first, our speech, our language, the words that we say. The Apostle James who was Jesus's half-brother. He was an apostle. He wrote a letter to the church. And in it, he says this, the tongue is a flame of fire. It can set your whole world on fire. It is set on fire from hell itself. Have you ever had a moment where you didn't mind your own business in what you said, and it set your life on fire? The wrong word Saying the wrong thing can ruin a relationship. It can destroy a family. When it comes to our speech, we have this tendency as humans to not mind our own business, to say some things that we ought not to say, and it ruins things. Words can kill the spirit. Words can destroy relationships. Words can ruin reputations. The scriptures give us two specific ways uh, where we tend to not mind our own business, uh, two ways of using language that we ought to avoid. In fact, these two things, gossip and slander, are thrown in some pretty heavy lists. Like heavy lists of like, uh, we typically think of gossip and slander often as like, oh, those are like smaller sins. Oh no, they're listed with like the biggies because of how destructive they can be. Gossip is, of course, talking about other people's private business, the people that have no need knowing that person's private business. The scripture tells us in the Proverbs um, that gossip can be like a sweet morsel. Like there's something about it that we like. We like, like to bite into it like candy. Oh, but when we, when we do it, it's so harmful. It can hurt. It can destroy things. Slander is uh, when either negative or, well, let me say it this way, either true or false, we can say something either true or false about someone, doesn't have to be true, doesn't have to be false, but it's negative about that person and we speak it to somebody else. That's the difference between gossip and slander. Gossip, private business, slander, uh, negative, whether it's true or false, about someone else. You know, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter two actually says that slander almost destroyed his ministry. Think about that. Why is this so important? Slander almost destroyed the Apostle Paul's ministry. Slander had ruined his reputation temporarily in some of the churches, and he had to go back and restore it just because the Christians couldn't live quietly. Now, imagine if it happened back then to the Apostle Paul. It's happened for 20 or 2,000 years, that it happens still today. That these, these uh, gossip and slander have a tendency then to still ruin the kingdom of God today. So we're told, mind your own business. I gave you this phrase last week. I want to give it to you again. Let the noise stop with you. Let the noise stop 
with you. What we mean by that is that when you hear gossip, you let the noise stop with you because uh, you either say, stop talking, or you just absorb it and don't pass it on, and the noise has stopped. When we talk about slander, let the noise stop with you means when you hear it, you correct it because it's wrong or it's harmful to the body of Christ. And so you let the noise stop with you. We always say that redemption is a family. We say redemption is a family, not because we have this weird like communal idea, but because in the church, it says that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. The, the scriptures use the metaphor of family most in describing the body of Christ. And so we think that that was intentional and purposeful. And so we're supposed to be a family. Well, what does that mean then when it comes to gossip and slander? and the way we speak. Some of you, you may have um, disruptive families. There might be a lot of drama in your family. Okay, maybe that's all of us. But I bet for most of us in here that when it comes to your blood family, you hate it when other people are talking badly about them. It's that whole phrase, I can say this about my sibling, but you can't. I punch you when you say that. If we believe the gospel, then our brothers and sisters in Christ are our family. And if we wouldn't say it or post it or share it about our blood brother and sister, then we ought not to about our brother and sisters in Christ to preserve the integrity integrity of the, I just made up a word the integrity of the church and to therefore then preserve the integrity of God's name let the noise stop with you this preserves a healthy body it then allows us to instead of um, passing on gossip and slander to do um, with our language and our speech the opposite, which what the scriptures encourage us to do, to encourage one another, to build one another up, to speak life and hope and love and prayer into one another. In the same passage, the apostle James goes a little bit later and he says, on one hand or on one side of our mouth, uh, we speak blessing and on the other, we speak curses. This ought not to be so. If the gospel is the root of your heart and your life, then what should come out should be uplifting and, and build the body of Christ, not destroy it. Mind your own business. Let the noise stop with you for God's sake, literally, and his church. Second area that we have a tendency to not mind our own business is in the area of comparison. Comparison. Proverbs 14.30 says it this way. A tranquil heart or a quiet heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A quiet heart brings life and joy and peace, uh, but an envious heart destroys life. It says it makes the bones rot. In our metaphor, it creates a massive lack of quiet. 
And so another way to mind our own business and therefore to produce quiet in our lives is instead of comparing or living in a constant state of comparison to do what the Apostle Paul says, learn the art of contentment. Minding our own business then is being so deeply satisfied in the life that God has given us that we don't have to look at everyone else's life and say, I want that. See, envy is a result of believing that God is holding out on you. Envy is a result of believing that the gospel isn't the greatest thing you could receive. Envy says that what you have just gotten, whatever it might be, is is better than what I have in the gospel, and so now I want what you have. But the Christian has become so in love with Christ, so overcome by the goodness of the gospel, so deeply satisfied in the gospel that when they see somebody else getting something of this world, to them, it's a lesser story. The gospel is the greatest story. It's the greatest thing I get. So so why grow envious that you got something of this world? So how do we get over envy? and therefore mind our own business, we um, constantly rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. We go back and we're so overcome with gratitude of how Christ rescued us out of our sin when we didn't deserve it and he gave us new life and redemption. How he set us free from sin and we're so overjoyed by that uh, that we never, no longer need to feel envious of what others might get. We can mind our own business because you know that God's got a story for you. What does comparison do, by the way? It doesn't just affect you. It does, like like when you get on social media and you see the post and that post sets something off inside of you because they got promoted or they got married or they went on a vacation or they feel whatever it might be. What does it do? It, It destroys the quiet in you. It destroys the quiet. And then what do we do? When the quiet is destroyed inside of us, it often lashes out then on those that we love. So all of a sudden, your spouse is like, what's wrong with you? You were in such a good mood. Then you started scrolling through your Instagram, and you weren't in such a good mood. Because the quiet was destroyed. By the way, envy can be a tool. Here's how. When you see the post... When you hear the news that all of a sudden drives up the envy or the jealousy or the bitterness inside of you, you can then use that. You can reverse engineer it and you can find the thing in your heart that you're loving deeper than Christ. And so if a post about somebody getting a new car or a new this or a new that doesn't bother you, it's probably because you're either not in love with that or you're satisfied enough with the stuff that you have. But if every post about a new relationship drives you crazy or bitter, well, then the gospel is now beginning to reveal or your heart is beginning to reveal what it's loving more. If every post about somebody's new material thing sets off something inside of you, it's revealing what you might be loving more. Envy can be a tool. It can show us what we need to take back to the cross, repent of, 
what idol is surfacing. And then we can root it out and replace it with the gospel. Go down to the bottom. Another thing you can do, by the way, is take practical steps to not find yourself in the trap of comparison. It is helpful. So go home today and unfollow or block all of your good-looking rich friends, okay? (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But (laughs) there is a certain type of Facebook post that I had to decide for myself. Whenever I see this post, type of post, I unfollow immediately. Some of you are like, (gasps) like I just told you I murder people, okay? Who you follow and unfollow on Facebook is not a sin issue. Can we just clear that up? Okay. I unfollow it. Why? Because it destroys my quiet. It destroys it. The entire nature of social media is to not mind your own business. That's why it exists. So that you might know my business or know someone else's. That's at the very heart of it. So I'm not telling you to go get rid of your social media. There's some great stuff for it. But it might be the most powerful tool in destroying your quiet. So at least be careful with it. See what it's doing inside of you. Unfollow someone if you need to. Listen, if, if Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount today, I know it's weird whenever I conjecture what Jesus might say. But instead of him saying, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, he would probably say, if Instagram causes you to sin, delete it. Take the steps you need to take to protect the quiet in your life. In that same vein, one of the ways to produce quiet back into your life might be to place practices in your life that intentionally limits things like social media. Oh, but let me say this. If you take a social media fast and you post about it, you've already lost. (laughs) One of the best parts about being a pastor is when you get to use your platform to deliver on your pet peeves. Okay. <laughs> nine years ago, I was leading student ministries, and I mean, think about nine years ago. I, was, I still had an Envy cell phone nine years ago, right? And, and no internet. But we would um, encourage our high school students every year to take 21 days off of their cell phones. Now that sounds like don't breathe for 21 days, right? Like inconceivable. By like day three, I remember one year, a student coming to me saying, my thumb hurts because it's just twitching. Okay. (laughs) An intentional break at times can be very helpful. And it's not just a break to break. It's not just a break to, um, you know, look what I did. No, it's a break to quiet your soul, to pursue Jesus. Somewhere in the last 20 years, fasting really became more about dieting and like emotional health. 
Fasting is to go get more of Christ. That's what it's about. It's about intentionally saying no to other things so that you can pursue Jesus more, so that you can spend more time with him. Quiet yourself. All right, I'm done there. Third point, third way that we have a tendency to not mind our own business is meddling, meddling. Look at what the Apostle Peter says about meddling. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. This verse is starting off great. If you get persecuted, awesome for you. God's gonna fill you up in a new cool way. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Okay, that makes sense. Or as a thief or an evil doer or as a meddler. Wow. It's as if Peter's saying, okay, all of you who are suffering for Christ, go stand over there. Okay, hold on, hold on. Murderers, you gotta get over there. Thieves, get over there. All of you who do a lot of evil, get over there. Oh, all of you people who don't know how to mind your own business, you get over there too. The stakes are really high here to the apostle Peter. He's comparing meddling to murder. He's saying it can destroy the very fabric of the church, people's lives, relationships, mine, your own business. Some of you might be thinking this, but as Christians, aren't we supposed to, aren't we supposed to challenge each other? Aren't we supposed to hold each other accountable? How do you balance that line? Great question. Great question. Let me give you some motives underneath that might indicate that you're meddling, not holding somebody accountable appropriately. The greatest example of this in the scriptures, by the way, is the prophet Nathan. The prophet Nathan um, confronted King David in his sin. And uh, this serves almost as an example. And so I'm going to set that up, and then I'm going to come back to it. Five motives that we have to avoid because they're probably more meddling than they are accountability, all right? SS RAF, it's like a boat, SS RAF. Let me give them to you. First one, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. If your confrontation of somebody or the reason you're sticking yourself in someone else's business is because you have so much disdain for them or their sin, then you haven't appropriately taken care of taking this log out of your own eye. And so instead of meddling, you should just mind your own business and go back and allow Christ to remind you that you're just as sinful as them before you step in to their business. That's the first one. Second one is self-serving. Self-serving. If the reason you're involving yourself in the situation is because ultimately you have something to gain as a result... That's not minding your own business. That's meddling. And so by placing yourself in it, if it means that their reputation is destroyed or, or they lose their job or they whatever, but you somehow get elevated, that's meddling. Sinful. What we're seeing in here, by the way, is how we confront people is as or more important in God's eyes than what the person you're confronting actually did. 
So self-righteousness or self-serving. There's another one. Another one is, is the person receiving it? Sometimes we think, well, it's my duty as a Christian to go plug myself into this situation. And the whole time you're trying to do that, they're looking at you like, no, 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 no. And you might think you're in the right. But like we talked about in our wisdom series, you might be right, but you might not be right. And so if they're not receiving it, then maybe grace isn't in it and the Holy Spirit's not working through it. So just walk away and mind your own business. The next one is authority. Said another way, is it your place? Is it your place? There will be times in the context of my job where people will come up and say, hey, do you know that this person is doing that? And sometimes I'll say, yes, I do. And they look at me like, why aren't you doing anything about it? Because it's not my place yet. Even though I'm the pastor, it's not my place. They haven't given me permission into that part of their life yet. Or they might say, do you know that this person is doing this or that? And I'll say, no, and I don't need to know that. Not until it's the right time. We say, well, how do you know it's the right time? That's why we have the Holy Spirit. And so if it's not your authority or your place, then by you meddling, you're not minding your own business. You're in sin. And sometimes that just means trusting that the proper authority is also discerning the Holy Spirit and will step in when necessary. The last one is, what's the fruit of it? If you engage yourself in a situation, what's the fruit? What's the end result? If the fruit of your engagement is, in, is destruction or the ruining of something or someone, well, you were probably meddling. Now let's go back to David and Nathan. David's in sin. Nathan comes up. Nathan is a prophet, so he has all of the authority. Nathan approaches David in such a way that he receives it. Nathan, it says, that after he delivered what he needed to to David, you know what it says next? I think this is so important. It says he went home. He went home. As in, I did my job. I told David what was going on. And now, it didn't say Nathan went and told everybody else. It said Nathan went home. He went home. You know why? Because he was minding his own business. And then what happens? Oh, David writes Psalm 51. His heart is wrenched. God takes care of it. The Holy Spirit in David convicts him of his sin. The kingdom is preserved. Were there consequences? Of course, sin always leads to death. But imagine how much worse the consequences would have been, the natural practical consequences, if Nathan would have left there rallied all of David's opposition and said, look what he did. What wars could have been fought? What people would have died? Mind your own business. Mind your own business. For the sake of your quiet, for the sake of the health of the body, and literally, for God's sake, for the sake of his name, 
And what about us? What did you need in your lowest moment? Did you need a meddler? Did you need a gossip or a slanderer? No, what did you need in your lowest moment? You needed a mediator, not a meddler. And so what do we have in Jesus? We have the one who had every right to be self-righteous because he was perfect. We have the one who had every right to be self-serving because it's all about him. We have the one who had all of the authority. And what does he do? He mediates on your behalf before the Father. And instead of the Father hearing about your sin and your lowest moment, Jesus goes to the cross to protect his brother and his sister. So that your sin disappears in Christ on the cross. So Jesus minded his own business. He knew his mission to go to the cross to protect you. So now in the same way that Christ protected you, we protect each other. That's minding our own business.